<laughs> Hello and welcome to the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm Raya, your host, and today I'm here with Carrie Brzozowski. Carrie is with Redwood Executive Coaching, and she is here to talk about how to go from burned out to on fire. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this, because I know that we've all, I, well, I would assume everybody at some point has experienced burnout, but tell us how you specifically got into this. Well, I wish it was some like glamorous story where I like had this vision and I wanted to like help people in burnout. But unfortunately, it was the fact that I actually hit the wall. So I've been a nurse for 29 years and I was a hospital administrator for 15. And I got to the point where I was sick. I was tired. I was literally hit the wall of burnout. And what I found is that in healthcare specifically, and a lot of times in corporate, you know, the higher you go, the lonelier it is, and there's not a whole lot of support. And so I ended up having to actually leave a profession that I loved to be able to really get away, heal myself and move forward. And now I have this mission that no one should ever get to the point in their career where they've made so many sacrifices. They're kind of at that pinnacle and stress and burnout takes them out of their job. So that is my current mission is to not have people get to that point. Well, and you also have laser eagle eyes. You are able to spot it from a mile away. I was having an especially Bernie Audi week and Carrie reached out to me and she's like, um, Raya, we need to talk because you're looking pretty burnt out. So we need to talk. <laughs> so yep, I, you were looking. <laughs> I appreciate that about you. So your company is Redwood Executive Coaching. What does that mean to you and where does it even come from? So the redwood is a tree that stands very tall and it's very metaphoric for actually what we do. So redwoods can burn on the inside and the trunk is not affected. So you can't see that it is burning and dying on the inside, which is how most high performance professionals are. We have this excellent external. Everyone thinks our life looks great. We've got the great job. We might even go on great vacations. Everything looks great on the outside, but you're secretly just grumbling inside because you don't know what to do. And I can't tell you how many times people just say, oh, and I said it, you know, I just wish I could get my shit together. I wish I could just do my job. Yeah. And you can't because the stress and the chaos has just you burning inside and nobody yeah. even notices it. Yeah. Well, aside from the obvious reasons, we know that stress is bad, but tell us really, why is it such a big deal if we have stress? Because our culture thrives on that. I'm a big fan of Gary Vee and his book is Crush It. He talks about going out and getting it and everything. He even has pulled back and said, hey, I'm saying crush it in what you love. Like go out and do what you love. I'm not saying grind yourself into the ground. Not everybody has to have that type of work ethic. But I do think there's a glamorization of grinding yourself into the ground and being a workaholic. So why do you think that stress and burnout is such a big deal when our culture says differently? Yeah. So I talk about this a lot. I think that busyness and overbooking is become like this badge of courage. You know, I got to take the kids here. Well, you know, currently right now we're in this pandemic. So it's really changing the way in which people look at things because they're not as busy doing those things that have kept them, you know, going, going. They have a new level of stress, but it's that being able to kind of step back and stop being that person who thinks 
that busyness equates to success and all of that. It's really not. And like you said, you know, you want to do do what you love and you want to do it very well. But the biggest thing is that people don't realize how detrimental the stress can be. So we have kind of our reptilian brains. We look at things in ancient times. It was like, is that my food or am I their food? Well, our brain still works the same way. So when we get in that chronic stress, it's doing the same thing in our body. And that chronic revved up state causes disease. I mean, there's research to show it, but it causes different things to manifest in our body. You know, we start to get colds all the time. We start to miss work. We start losing our productivity. Something that took us 20 minutes is now taking us an hour or it takes days and days because we're trying to avoid it. And that's just our body trying to protect us. Like I'm so nope. because I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, we're all kind of like, oh, I'm guilty. You know, and the other thing is that 75% of the time that people go to the doctor's office for primary care visits, it's related to stress. Wow. That's a lot of time. So people may think, you know, it's not really affecting them but you're missing work. You're missing time with your family. You are having to redo things because you have to make these appointments and you just feel like crap. And the other thing is that when you look at the top six causes of death in the United States prior to, you know, COVID and all that, there's, you know, the top six causes of death, stress attributes to every single one of them. Wow. So the more that you can do to lower your stress, lower your stress hormones, the better you're going to have for resilience within your body and not catch everything and always be run down. I love that you have the medical background too. I mean, I know you're not a doctor or a nurse. I love that you have the medical background because you've seen this with your eyes. You've seen this in practice. How would you say that this affects entrepreneurs specifically or even female entrepreneurs specifically? Is this podcast, you know, tends to lean more towards entrepreneurs and of all genders and professionals of all genders, but how would you say that it affects entrepreneurs and female entrepreneurs? Well, I think one of the biggest is that we, whether you're an entrepreneur, you're getting ready and you go out to a job or maybe walk into your office and do your job, is that we think we have to do it all. We care for everybody else. We put everyone else's needs. Our own mentor that we both have, Kelly O'Neill, talks about the mental load of women. And it's true. The things that women keep in our heads, the, you know, the doctor's appointments, the vet bills, the you know, when is the bug man coming? When is this? We have this like compartmentalized calendars and schedules of everyone in our head. Plus we do it to ourselves. And then if we have a team, we do it for our teams and it just becomes too much. It's that, you know, we get to the end of the day and if you're the one who cooks, which I love to cook. So, you know, you get to the end of the day and you haven't planned out what dinner is going to be and your spouse, your significant other looks at you and goes, what do you want for dinner? And you're just like, oh my God, I can't make one more decision. You know where everything is in your refrigerator. You know where everything is in your pantry. You know where every pot and pan or any miscellaneous thing goes in your house and they can't figure out how to do dinner And you're just like, seriously, I have all of this. I can't make one more decision. Right. And so I think the biggest thing is give yourself permission to let go of some of it. We do it innately, but take time to step back, ask for help. We're terrible about that as women, because we want to show that we can do it all. You know, we can have it all. And I think one of the 
of this generation, like I was, that we were taught that women can do anything. You can bring home the bacon and fry it up in a pan. I remember that. The problem is nothing went away. Yeah, we can go out and make a great living. Yes, we can come home and have this family. The problem is, is that in doing that, we have to get some things off our plate so that we can have some priority. That is probably the biggest thing that that people just don't do. You know, an example of this personally this morning, I was noticing, and this is not like a personal slam against her at all. I have to say that because she's brand new, but I onboarded this week, a new employee and she is coming on to do bookkeeping. And then she will be eventually my bookkeeper and a part-time virtual assistant. She's just got her own personality the way everybody has their own personality. And we met on Sunday because she She's in a different country. So that was, you know, midweek for her. We met on Sunday and then we met on Monday and then she had a plan for the week. And it's very self-paced training. Doesn't require me to be involved in any way, shape or form. But Wednesday came around and I hadn't heard anything from her. And I reached out to my manager and I'm like, can you check in on Jen? Because like, I haven't heard from her at all. And I'm just not even sure what she's doing. And I'm just like, you know, and the bottom line is she had a laid out plan that was self-directed. Why would she check in with me? We had checked in. It was just my own like control freaky wanting to have like are all the pieces, my whack-a-mole like in place. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it has nothing to do with her. It has to do with me. And then I thought, man, I guess I'm going to have to like say that now that I'm recognizing that about myself it brings up, it does, you know, like it brings up like a little bit of anxiety or whatever. I guess I'm going to have to be honest and say to people, I actually like to be communicated with on a daily basis. Even if you don't have anything important to report, even if you say, Hey, I did my LinkedIn learning on Asana today. And I like to have that because then I'm like, okay, you know, like I don't have to be up in the biz of all the details, but I just like to know what's happening. And I feel like that's part of this, what we're talking about too. It's like that little internal, like I said, like a whack-a-mole type thing like what's gonna pop up next okay got that okay got that got that you're that load the woman's loads it's a real thing well the other thing is that when we get stressed the more stressed we get so this isn't to point out or say that you're stressed but typically what I find with a lot of people is the higher the stress the more they want to micromanage They want to try to control the little things because if I can control the little things, my life doesn't feel so chaotic and out of balance. And so the biggest things that you can do with your teams to really have good productivity and balance is actually what are the outcomes? What are we striving for? And how much do we need to have communication? Because she may be on the other hand going, if I hear from them every day, they think I'm not doing a good job. If I'm like having to touch base. And so then you get this disconnect Right. Uh, And you're creating stress for one, but you're relieving it from the other. And you just kind of get this like jumbled up mess. It's such a new relationship for you to go, hey, this is what I really need to know that I'm supporting you is touch points, you know, here, here and here doesn't need to be big, doesn't even need to be face to face. But here's what I need. And then she says, oh, fabulous. Here's what I need. And it's that communication because one of the biggest things when I work with organizations, one of the biggest things that causes stress and turnover is people not having clear expectations. And when we don't tell them what we need and what we expect, they make shit up. I can tell you, I can make stuff up way worse than what would ever go on between two individuals because we get on this rabbit trail and then, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, what if none of that were actually true? Right. And I see that with clients, they start to kind of spin. It's like, step back. What if that actually weren't true? Yeah. What if they actually were saying this? Or what if this came from a different spot? 
And you can just kind of stop it and be like, okay, I don't need to do this swirl. Well, I and I tell her what I, I need. that I am a like a really horrible communicator in writing when I'm giving directions. And I found this out because then I've had responses where it's been defensive or they felt offended when I'm really just like giving a direction on how to do something. And so one of the tools that has been really helpful is Loom, a screen share, which if the listeners haven't heard of it, it's a screen share program that's free. And so what I'll do is I'll hop on and I'll say, okay, so here's the time task that I want you to do. And I'll just like, you know, and I'll walk through how to do it and be like, okay, so, you know, this is the expectation. I'm going to ask that you do this task. You know, if you have any questions or if I went too fast or whatever, just let me know. And then it's like, no big deal because they can clearly see what it is. Whereas when I'm describing what it is that I need to get done, either I'm not clear enough and then I get a result that is not what I wanted. And then I have to come back and I have to say, actually, that's not what I wanted. And it's a waste of time, you know, and those types of things. And then there's frustration on both sides. And so it's finding the ways that even if you, if I'm doing it both ways, like you know, here's a Loom video. I use Slack personally to communicate with my team. That seems to have been the best way for us to do that. And so I'll include the link to the video and and I'll kind of give a little brief, like executive brief. Here's what I want you guys to do. I've recorded the video with how to do it. Please let me know if you have any questions and kind of go from there. Trying to appeal a little bit to the people who want to read the directions, but I do want them to watch the video. And then the video is in perpetuity, right? Like it's always there. So if a new employee comes on and that task needs to be done, it's not stressful. It's not something where we have to take away time or be ineffective. It's just, it's non-emotional, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it takes that stress away from it because it's just a task instead of me telling somebody to do something. So my secret, I love Loom. I use it as well, is that I can speed it up. I can put somebody at 1.75 speed and it goes really quick. And then I can slow it down if I need to see the details of it. But for me, my brain, if I had to listen to videos and all of that, I just get distracted. So I just speed it up. That's why I love Loom because you can do that. You can just put them at one point seven for me, 1.75 yeah. plus I talk fast. Anyway, so if I get a really slow talker, I'm like, holy, Can't do it. come yeah. on, tell me what you want me to do. <laughs> yep. Yep. So it's a great tool. Yeah. So when you're working with people, somebody gets to the point where they're like, okay, I cannot do this anymore. And I want to work with somebody like Carrie. What does that look like? How do you break down, you know, the overview of what a process of working with somebody like you might look like? Well, so it depends on how they come in. I mean, and where they're at. If they're like, I am ready to just throw in the towel, then we do a quick reset. But the big thing is really, it's a rebalance of themselves. We do a quick reset to be able to say, okay, let's get rid of this trauma and drama because we all have trauma that's happened in our lives in some way, but then we have drama and whether it's external drama of people or the drama that we create in our heads, we have to address it and kind of get it to where we're at, at a new steady state. And then just teaching tools of how you can actually calm yourself down. How do you do it in the moment? How do we do it overall? What are some activities and things that you can do? How do I create boundaries? And when I work with people, because as you said, I have a nursing background, what disease, what things do you have going on? What illnesses do you have? 
And we encompass that to really create a true wellness program for them so that they can build their personal resilience, do things that can either, number one, they understand whatever their illness is or disease, or they're able to take the steps so that they can better manage it, better control their symptoms. And so it's really at the end, creating that balance. And I know balance is a misnomer, but it's creating that to where I feel balanced because what my level of balance might be totally different from yours. But if I feel good about it and I feel good that I have created some strategies so that I can maintain my professional life. I know that this is how I'm going to end the day and I'm going to leave it there. And the other is I can finally sleep at night. That's probably the biggest is one of the first indicators of stress is kind of creeping up is you are not getting good sleep or all you want to do is sleep. Right. Guilty and guilty. A good night (laughs) is so, so important. (laughs) Yeah. That is so interesting. You know, I'm 41 years old and I think back as far back in my adult life as I can, like even in the teen years, but I've always been sort of an overachiever over, like I had three jobs when I was in high school. Like who has three jobs? I remember people saying- I did in college, yeah. (laughs) Why did you have three jobs? There was a whole bunch of reasons why I had three jobs. You know, life has different circumstances, but I think that that established that for me from a very, very early age, that sleep was- something that was going to be, I was going to be at battle with for the rest of my life. And I have definitely seen in my own mental health and with working with mental health professionals that that has been an indicator of when I'm at a crisis point, you know, and by crisis, I don't mean to say like suicidal or anything like that. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I'm at a point where I'm at a low, low or, um, you know, or things are really amped with anxiety. Sleep is always the first indicator that we've got a problem. And I tend to be more of an insomniac than an oversleeper. But I will say that there are times where I'm just like, I just can't deal. All I want to do is just like, my favorite place in the world is my bed. And that doesn't have to do with depression or anxiety. That just has to do because it is freaking comfy. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, you go to the you go to your safe place where you're really comfortable. And then it's just like, Oh, okay. You know, like I didn't sleep last night, so I'm going to take a nap right now. You know what I mean? And not to say that naps aren't important or beautiful or wonderful things, but I think that what you're saying about being off balance and really noticing that you're not able to have good sleep hygiene, that's a really important indicator. I was also going to say that I could imagine that for people who have like diabetes, Lyme's disease, or any fibromyalgia, any type of autoimmune disease, that the level of stress I'm just trying to do, like I'm the analogy that I really like is the spoons analogy. Have you heard the spoons analogy? No. So I don't know who, I wish I could attribute who it goes to, but the concept is that you wake up with a certain amount of spoons per day. Each thing that you do costs you a certain amount of spoons. And when you're done with your spoons, you're done with your spoons. And so somebody who is a regular functioning person has a larger amount of spoons. And somebody who has like an autoimmune disease or diabetes or something, or maybe anxiety and depression or whatever it might be, or somebody who's experiencing burnout, you are starting the day with less spoons. And so you are running out earlier than other people. And so something like making a decision about what to cook for dinner 
is going to push you right off the edge because you ran out of spoons at like 1 p.m. Yeah. And you are on like fumes, not spoons, fumes from 1 p.m. on. And you needed somebody else to step in with their spoons. I really like that analogy. This is a good reminder. I should look this up because it is an important factor to think about, you know, like you said, looking holistically at the person because they're going to have different things that are going to affect their stress from a physical standpoint. And stress is affecting their physicality, but their physicality is also affecting their stress. And so it's this battle internally, externally, internally, externally of how to manage that. And I can imagine that your clients experience both physical and emotional relief you know, or improvement maybe in some of their physical symptoms because they're reducing their stress and how connected that is. Yeah. I had a recent client. She's like, oh my gosh, we've gotten more done in one week than we have in the last four months. And that's huge productivity. (laughs) You know, you can have that level. But the other thing that people don't understand is that there's a cost. If you aren't productive and you're in your business, it's costing you money. Yes. It may be that you're not having an outlay, but if you don't have the energy, it's costing you. If you can't get things done, it's costing your family relationship. One of the things that those of us who have loving families, when we get really stressed, our family gets the worst of us. Totally. Because we do everything we can to hold it all together for everybody else because our spoons ran out at one o'clock, but we still have three hours of FaceTime with people. And then our family, they get what's left. And so it's costing us greatly when we don't address our stress. My oldest was what I call, I I always say that she is my spicy child. Mm -hmm. And she was, I was so young. I was only 20, well, 19 when I got pregnant with her, 20 when she was born. And so I was immature myself. But I remember saying to my dad, why is she so naughty with me? Like she's so good all day long with her godmother who took care of her. And then she gets home and she is so naughty. And he says, babe, you're her safe place. She doesn't have anything left. She has kept it together all day long and been a good girl for this other person, but she knows that you're her mom. And she knows that, like, makes me feel like emotional to think about it. But it's like, he says, you know, instead of looking at it like you're getting the short end of the stick, look at it like you're her safe place. Yeah. You know, it's not in, and in a child, that's inappropriate. That is an appropriate reaction. But for us as parents, that's not what we want. That's not how we want to show our love and affection is by giving our burnout, like, you know, nothing left kind of self. And I have to remind myself, like yesterday, I sent a text in the middle of the day to my husband because my husband, I have to say this, he's a pain in the butt, but he is a saint. Like what he puts up with is just (laughs) insane. But in the middle of the day, I just sent him a text and I said, I love the way you love me because like what he puts up with is so much, you know, and it's important to say those things and to recognize when you have that in you to say that to somebody to appreciate them because they deserve that, you know, and it shouldn't be a chore on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. to express your love. I think we can put that on ourselves where we say we're not expressing our love the way that we should. It's another thing that we can like flog ourselves. I yelled at my kid or 
I yelled at my spouse or I'm not spending enough time with them or whatever. And then it becomes a chore or a to-do list instead of something that is invigorating and renewing and wonderful and de-stressing. And so we have to change our mindset about that and say things like, I love the way you love me or take advantage of the smallest moments and be like, Hey, get over here and give them a hug. Unless of course they're like my niece who's a little, she's such a little brat. I love her so much. But my sister said to her a couple nights ago, she said, come here and give me a hug. Good night. She goes, um, no, I do not consent. Good night. <laughs> she knows her boundaries really. <laughs> Well, Carrie, aside from working with you, because I think, and I think, and I highly recommend, please, anyone who wants to hear more about Carrie, have a discovery session with her, talk to Carrie about these issues. We're going to include all of her information in the show notes. And so I want to make sure that people know that they have access to Carrie. But Carrie, what's one thing that people can take away from this session that they could start today to help reduce stress and reduce burnout in their life? So there's tons of things that you could do, but I'm actually going to give you two, not just one. So the first is to recognize that you are important and you have to take care of you. You cannot pour from an empty vessel, just like on the airplane, they tell you to put on your mask before anyone else. You have to start making yourself a priority and taking care of you is not a guilty pleasure. It's a requirement so that you can be there for the ones that you love, for your team, for everybody else. So the first one is unabashedly take care of you. That's hard for some people. So you might need some help, but you know, take those little steps. But the second one is to make your sleep a priority, actually get a good night's sleep. And so many of us are moms. And if we're not, we know a mom. And I always use the analogy when our kids are little, we move heaven and earth to make sure that they get a nap, that their bedtime is there. And we have a bedtime routine. We don't let little kids just go willy nilly. Oh, you want to stay up till 10, 12 o'clock at night. Okay. No, we're like, we have dinner at a specific time. We do naps at a certain time. And I'm not saying everybody is that regimented, but in general, we know that little kids need to be to bed at a decent time. Like, I don't know of many people who let their kids just sleep wherever. We need to do that same thing with us as adults. We need to set and make sleep a priority just like we do for our little kids. Because we know as moms that if they don't sleep, they're crabby, they don't eat, they're cantankerous, they're no fun to be around. And you know when you're in, you're just like, oh my gosh, you need a nap. Or oh my gosh, you need, you know, we need to move this bedtime up. Guess what? We act like that too. Yeah. We act like that little toddler when we don't get good sleep. Our brains actually have gray matter. And at night, the gray matter actually gets cleaned out. There's a whole bunch of science, but I'll just simplify it in that it's like this wash machine that goes through and it cleans it up because during the day, our brain cells actually swell up and swelling people think, oh, I got a big brain. No, think about when your throat has swelling. That's what happens in your brain. When you go to sleep at night, everything gets cleaned out. And so we need to be able to set our bodies up to be able to survive the next day. We put ourselves through a lot of stuff. And so sleep needs to be a priority, not what we do with whatever is left. And I hear it all the time. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, let me tell you, people who don't sleep actually have higher mortality. So go ahead. Don't make sleep a priority. But chances are you'll actually die sooner than people who actually make sleep a priority. 
what would you say is a good amount of sleep that people should be doing? So the CDC and multiple sleep studies out there say that for an adult, it is recommended that you get seven to nine hours of sleep. Seven to nine, okay. Seven to nine. And the good way to like, when you wake up in the morning, do you feel refreshed and rejuvenated? Because some people will say seven to nine hours. Well, I go to bed at this, but they lay there and they don't get good sleep. Right. And so it's the quality of your sleep, not just the quantity of your sleep. Right. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. I've learned so much. I wish that you guys could know. And I I hope that you do reach out to Carrie because just as a person in general, Carrie is just a phenomenal woman and human being. And I just love being associated with her. And I'm so proud to have her on the show. But Carrie, I always ask two questions at the end of every show. So the first is if you could give any piece of advice and it can be on anything you want, but any piece of advice to the audience, what would that piece of advice be? So if it was business related, it's, as I said, make yourself a priority. But I think the other one is to hug and love your family and those people that are around you. My husband and I, we don't leave the house. We don't go in without a hug, a kiss. I love you. Tell each other that you just never know. And that being able to share that love and gratitude really can make a difference. Those hugs, you know, and I'll even do it to my husband. So I'm going to get that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but that was just a happy kiss. Come on. You know, <laughs> give me a kiss. I've Come heard that too. <laughs> you know, and, and it makes a difference in your day, yeah. you know, so you know, hug and love the people around you and let that. them know that they matter to you. I love that. Well, the second question, which sometimes is my favorite because I get so many different answers, but what is the best piece of advice that anyone has ever given you? And again, it does not have to be business related at all, but something that has really like resonated and affected you that you just have carried with you since you've heard it. So it was my grandma. I love my grandma. And I remember her telling me, it's okay. Not everybody's going to like you, but I will always love you. Oh, that's such a good one. And I remember thinking, why would somebody not like me? I know. But you know, as you get older, you're like, there's going to be people who don't like you and it's okay. And you know, the ones that always love you. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Carrie, it has been an absolute pleasure, and I truly mean that. And so I thank you so much for joining us. This is another episode of the Client Experience Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gonzalez. We've been here today with Carrie Brzozowski of Redwood Executive Coaching, and we will see you next time.